0: All right, just take your Bibles and kind of have them ready today. I want to I want to speak a little bit differently than normal today. I'm not going to have a text for this message. I just want to kind of talk to you a little bit about uh, something similar to what we talked about two weeks ago. Uh, two weeks ago, our emphasis was on the mission of our church. We asked the question about baptism and communion, and we said, why do we do these things? And that was because we baptized on that day. And we wanted to understand why it was that we did that sort of thing. And I think baptism is perhaps the ultimate illustration of what the church, this church, all Bible-believing churches are about. That is winning souls and making disciples for our Lord Jesus Christ, the mission of the church. Well, today, I think the emphasis is on the business of the church. And you might think that the terms mission and business are synonymous, and they are, I guess, to a certain extent. But when I speak of the business of the church, at least today and in this message, I'm talking very specifically about how it's organized and administered as an organization. How it goes about fulfilling its mission from a business perspective. And we're going to participate in just a little bit in our annual Business meeting. As soon as the service is over today, we'll take a little break and then we'll reconvene for our annual business meeting. So it seems a good time to refresh our thinking on why this local church operates the way it does. So I want to talk to you today about membership and meetings. Why do we do this? Two weeks ago, baptism and communion. Today, membership and meetings. Why do we do it? So if you're taking notes today, the outline is very simple. Membership its number one. Membership. And I think a good definition of membership would be helpful. At least I thought that as I was preparing this message, and so I looked it up. What does it mean when we say someone is a member of a church? when When we're talking about membership, what does it mean? So here's what the dictionary said. The dictionary said membership is the fact of being a member. That didn't help me a whole lot. And so then I looked up another dictionary. It said the state or status of being a member. So I kept looking it up and I, I came across a few other things. A member, oh, I looked up the word member actually after that to try to see. And, uh, and I came across this. A member is one of the individuals composing a group. A person baptized or enrolled in a church. That didn't help me very much. But then I saw this. A part of a whole. And I actually like that one. A part of a whole. A church member is someone who has become in some official way a part. Of a local church. Now, I would suggest that it entails a few things. I'm going to list three. There may be others, but I can think of three. When you become a part of the whole, when you become a member of a local church, it involves identification. You're identifying with that group. If you remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about baptism, we said that baptism identifies the believer with the church universal with, the, with the, the body of believers all the way from Pentecost to the rapture, the, the, the whole church. We are identifying ourselves in baptism uh, as a believer in, uh, in Jesus Christ with his body. And so baptism identifies a believer with the church universal. I think membership then identifies the, 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 the member with the church local. I think it's saying, I want to be part of this church uh, as well as the whole. So Identification. I think it involves something else. I think it involves agreement, agreement. In other words, unity in belief and practice. A person who is a member of a church, you may not agree with every jot and tittle that is done there, but you have for the most part said, I agree with this church uh, and want to worship in this church. Article 2 in our church constitution and bylaws document gives an outline of what we believe as a church. It is our statement of faith. I will not read that entire thing to you today. You can go and read it on your own. But it concludes with this, and I quote, The statement of faith does not exhaust the extent of our faith. The Bible itself is the sole and final source of all that we believe, and that's very important. We do believe, however, that the foregoing statement of faith accurately represents the teaching of the Bible, and therefore is binding upon all members. To be a part of a group is to be in agreement with that group, at least for the the most part. From time to time, someone will come and, and participate in our services here. They'll, they'll, uh, they'll, be a, they'll, they'll be enjoying the services, and they'll think it's a wonderful place until they find out there's some little pet thing that they believe that we don't believe. And then they have a couple of options. Uh, one, one one example that happens a lot is you'll have people who come here who believe in the, uh, the, the sign gifts in the book of Acts. Uh, we don't believe in things like speaking in tongues here. Uh, every once in a while, I have someone who comes here and says, oh, I believe those are for today. Well, we don't. They have a couple of, couple of choices at a time like that. They can read their Bibles and study Scripture a little bit better and come to the conclusion that we're right and be in agreement with us. Because, by the way, we're right. Those gifts are not for today. Uh, they spoke in tongues in Acts for very specific reasons we do not today. That person, if he comes to that agreement, can be part of the whole because he's in agreement. But another option that he might take is to attempt to change things, to show us where we are mistaken, to solicit adherence to his cause, to take it upon himself to stir up disunity and disagreement. That person cannot be part of the whole. What they ought to do is go find a church that believes like they do, because there are plenty that do. And so identification is one thing that marks membership. Uh, Agreement is one. And the other is submission, submission to the leadership of the church, as those leaders submit to the leader of the church, Jesus Christ. In any organization, some are tasked with setting direction, administrative authority, leadership responsibility. It's the same in in the local church. And lack of submission to that authority does not bring unity. We're going to talk about unity a lot in in the next few minutes. It brings chaos. It brings disorder. Everybody read the news. Anybody paying attention to what's going on in our government today when authority is not respected, when there is little in the way of real leadership? Uh, it's, it's a problem. So I would suggest that membership involves those three things. And you might be able to think of some others, but it involves identification with that local church. It involves uh, agreement with that local church, and it involves submission to that local church. There's something else we ought to talk about when it comes to membership, and that is what is the qualifications of a church member? Who can be one? Who can be a member of this church or any Bible-believing church? Well, let me extract a few lines from our church constitution for you again. The membership of this church, Friendship Bible Church, will consist of, number one, those who unite with it by confession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, giving expression to their faith through baptism by immersion. Number two, those who unite by transfer of membership from another Bible-believing church of like faith, having been baptized by immersion. And number three, those who unite by public statement of Christian experience, having previously confessed Christ, and experienced baptism by immersion. Did you notice any common theme running throughout those three different ways that our Constitution says we will accept people into membership in this church? There were. There was two common themes there. All those who would be a member of this church have to be, number one, saved, and number two, baptized. And we take a strong stand that baptism is by immersion after they are saved. Why, why do we take that stand? Because it's what the Bible says. Saved, baptized by immersion, after they are saved. And additionally, as has already been mentioned, one of the other requirements of membership is agreement with our statement of faith. And then we add one more. It's really not a requirement, but we would, we would normally say it is. And that if this one is meant to reinforce those first three. It is that we would like anyone who wants to be a member to take a class, a seven-week class, which we affectionately call FBC 101, that uh, hopefully reinforces those first three. So, the question always comes up when you talk about membership. Where in the Bible does it talk about membership? There are those who don't believe that membership is a scriptural principle. And the reason that they say that is because they say you cannot find the uh, the, 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 the word membership used in that context in the Bible. There's nowhere in the Bible where it uses that phrase, church member. And so, does the Bible support the concept of membership? And I would say it does. It does not. I admit it does not use that word in that phrase. The implementation of that doesn't, doesn't appear in Scripture, but there are certainly the concept is certainly there. Think, for example, of the various places where church discipline is described. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 would be an example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, Paul was addressing uh, the fact that there was an individual in the church at Corinth who was gauged unrepentantly in an adulterous relationship. And he told the church they needed to remove him. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 13, Therefore put away from yourselves the evil person. Now, I don't want to get into the topic of church discipline in any detail today. It's a big topic. It requires a lot of thought. But notice this one truth that emerges from that statement. You can't put someone away from something if they're not already part of that something. You can't remove someone from something if they're not already part of that something. The ability to remove someone from a group requires that they are part of the group. They are part of the whole. Another example would be the widow's role in First Timothy chapter 5. The early church had a list of widows that they supported. And again, that's another topic for another day. I just want you to notice one thing about it. Uh, there was a list. There was an enrollment There was something official about it. They were members of a group. They were part of a whole which existed in some official capacity. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 9 says, Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number. Other translations render that phrase into the number as be put on the list. Don't put them on the list. Or don't let them be enrolled. And so there's all kinds of examples like that. Those are just a couple. But examples that show us that the concept of membership, the concept of being part of the whole, in some official capacity, on some list, does exist in Scripture. One last thing concerning members and membership. Membership in a local church has both privileges and responsibilities. We've already discussed some of the responsibilities, but what are the privileges? What, why would I ever want to be a member of a church? What's it get me? Well, voting is one such privilege. We don't vote on a lot of things here, but the few things we do vote on, only members vote on. And so that would be one. Uh, thing and certain levels of ministry here, at least at Friendship Bible Church, uh, require membership. Uh, teaching and preaching ministries. We, we allow guest speakers from time to time, but by and large, teaching and preaching ministries require that you be a membership. Only members can serve in our our, our praise team, our worship ministry, uh, except again in a guest capacity from time to time. So there are some privileges as well. And you might be sitting here this morning saying, "Well." Preacher, I am not a member, and you're wondering where you fit in. Can I still come? Can I still be part of Friendship Bible Church? Of course the answer is yes. Of course it's yes. You're welcomed and you're loved, and with those few exceptions that I mentioned, you can participate in almost every way. And and though voting requires membership, you're welcome to listen in on our business meetings. We're going to have one in just a few moments, and you're invited to be a part of that as well. So that's membership. Hopefully I didn't cause more questions and answers there, but that's one thing I wanted to talk about this morning. And the second is meetings. Membership and meetings. Why do we do these things? Meetings. Local churches have long held meetings. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but we're holding one right now. We meet for all kinds of different reasons. We meet on the Lord's Day, almost every Lord's Day, for worship until we get snowed out. Uh, We meet for fellowship. We're going to get together and just play games and shout and carry on and do silly things here on Saturday evening. We meet for fellowship. We meet on Wednesday nights for prayer meeting. Some of us do. More of you should. We meet on Wednesday nights for prayer meeting. We meet to encourage and to support one another, to pray for one another, to learn. We meet in Bible studies. All kinds of different ways the church meets. But the church also meets for the purpose of governing and for setting direction. That's the kind of meeting we're going to have in a few minutes, which necessitates what we're talking about today, meetings. Now, for that kind of a meeting, for a good meeting of that type, you need a good organizational structure in the church, and that structure is defined for us in the Bible. It tells me this. The Bible tells me the structure of the church is Jesus Christ is the head of the church. The pastor and elders lead and set direction for the church under his leadership, and the membership works together to accomplish the work of the church. Spearheaded, I think, by the efforts of deacons and deaconesses. So the membership has a very important role. The membership is the one supposed to be doing the work of the ministry. The membership is vital. And when it comes to meetings, in, 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 in very specifically when it comes to our meetings, uh, and how the church is administered, members have a couple of very important. Or one of them is this. I've mentioned this to you before. You're supposed to be holding the leadership accountable. That's the job of the members. Memberships hold leadership accountable. If this church were to drift away from the scriptural principles that we hold to today, uh, that would be partially my fault. It would also be partially yours. The members are to hold the leadership accountable. And uh, it's a very important, important role. And I say this very carefully. I say this with fear and trepidation. Because here's something, that, here's something you need to think about. The only way that works is if the membership is also holding itself accountable. Holding itself accountable to submit to the lordship and leadership of Christ. Holding themselves accountable to read and learn their Bibles enough to know if leadership drifts. How do you know if I'm preaching the truth up here or not or just some kind of crazy heresy if you don't read your own Bibles Accountable to put the unity of their body above their own pet issues. Carnal Christians, carnal members, members with their own agendas, members who are simply ignorant and don't know their Bibles enough because they never read them, can wreak havoc in a church. They really can. But godly members, godly members who are personally following the Lord Jesus Christ, holding their pastor and their elders and their deacons and their deaconesses accountable submitting to the leadership, supporting their efforts, you're a vital part, a vital component in a healthy church. It's important to remember, isn't it, that a church is not a democracy. We have to say that from time to time. As Americans, we tend to believe that democracy is the only right form of government. But it is not. Our government certainly indicates that it has its flaws anyway. There's this thing hinted at in the Bible. Christ is the head of the church. I said that, I think, three times now. In this sermon, Colossians chapter 1, verse number 17, he is before all things and in him all things consistent. He is the head of the body, the church. And he is given to pastors and to elders and to uh, teachers the the, the important role of leading and administering and shepherding uh, pastors and elders. Their role is to equip the membership to do the work of the ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So let me give you a couple examples from Scripture that I think help us to see how uh, members should submit to church leadership but at the same time hold them accountable. Let me me, me show you a couple. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 would be one. The Apostle Paul oftentimes, as a matter of fact, this morning in Mark's class, he he came across a verse that said this very same thing. Uh, Paul oftentimes told people to imitate him, or if you hold a King James Bible, to follow him, follow his example. He used that language several times. In 1 Corinthians 11, though, he provided a clarification. Here's what he said. Uh, He said, imitate me or be followers of me, in the King James, just as I also imitate Christ. And so, in other words, there is a limitation to even the Apostle Paul's leadership or the Apostle Paul's authority, so long as, to the best of his ability, and God helping him, he's following the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, imitate me, follow me. But when he no longer does that, they ought not to. And, of course, the simplest example is one that I've given you many, many, many times here, and that of the Berean believers. Acts chapter 17, verse 11, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. They listened to the apostles' teaching. Then they carefully compared it to scripture to ensure what was being preached, preached aligned with what was written. And that's how they held them accountable. That's the kind of accountability and submission. That's how you have both of those things between the membership and the leadership of the church. So when it comes to meetings, the members play this vital role in ensuring the leadership of the church uh, is following the leadership of the church, Jesus Christ. And all of this needs to be done. I said we were going to come back to this, but all of this needs to be done in a spirit of unity. Now I, I haven't had you turn to anything now, but let's turn to Acts chapter 15 real quickly. Acts chapter 15. And let me show you an example of a church meeting so we understand what we're talking about. Acts chapter 15, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Acts 15, 1, certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about the question. We need a meeting. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute... Peter rose up and said to them, stop right there, issue was raised, problem, something that needed to be discussed, a decision that needed to be made. It was not one whereby everybody had the same opinion or the same thought or the same point of view. Actually, according to one verse there, I can't remember where it was, it said there was much dispute. There was a lot of dissension. There was a lot of uh, difference of opinion. But the meeting proceeded. Peter spoke a bit and we didn't read that. Then we get down to verse number 22. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch. Then it pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church. When the decision was arrived at, the entire group agreed with it. They were all in unity and all was well. Now, we know from our study of Scripture that they didn't all agree with every little bit of that. This little issue continued to pop up from time to time uh, throughout the history of the church and throughout further parts down through the book of Acts. But the, the church united behind the decision. Their unity took precedence over any of their personal agendas. Another example would be in Acts chapter 6. You don't have to turn there. Acts chapter 6 is another example. The church met there to discuss the appointment of deacons for the first time. And after that topic was broached at the meeting and a decision was made, Acts chapter 6 and verse number 5 says, The saying pleased the whole multitude. There was... Unity in the meeting. So let's conclude here this morning with a couple practical thoughts. Practical thoughts regarding membership and meetings. For you might be wondering, okay, all this is interesting. It's kind of technical. It's kind of boring, but uh, it's interesting. Uh, But what does it mean to me? How do I practice being a good member in a a meeting, such as what we're going to have? Let me make a couple suggestions. Number one, faithfully attend. Attend. Be present. Be present. Be an active part of the whole. Faithfully attend. Number two, faithfully pray. Alistair Begg said one time, for a meaningful preaching event, you need an expectant praying preacher and you need an expectant praying congregation. I like that. But I think the same is true of any meeting. I think it's also true of a business meeting or anything else. Those leading need to be praying, and those participating need to be praying. We all need to be praying for wisdom and discernment and agreement and that unity of the Spirit that we just talked about, for God's will to be done in any directions and any decisions that are made. So faithfully attend, faithfully pray. And number three, faithfully determine that the unity we've already discussed will be a guiding factor in your participation. Pray that God will show you any personal agenda that might motivate you. Or me. These same things are true of me. And pray that God will help you to root it out. Paul encouraged the Philippians, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Look, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, I haven't brought these thoughts this morning because of any problem in this church. We don't have these problems that I know of. We have been very united and gloriously so for the last ten years, and I praise God for it. But I think from time to time it's good for us to reach out and touch them and remind ourselves of what the Bible teaches about these things. I will never forget, I will never forget the time that we had a fellow that came to this church. And I, 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 as I'm looking at my notes here, I wrote down that he he was some kind of a, of a of a workman that was here during the week. He was local to the area, but he was doing something. But as I've thought through that, I'm not sure it's the case. This might have actually been someone who came to one of our prayer breakfasts with the man. It was one of those two things. I, I've lost all those details now. All I know is that he took me aside and he said, you know, I've never seen the inside of this building. I've always wanted to see the inside of this building. And uh, so could I see the sanctuary? I said, sure. So I brought him up here, and he stood right here. I remember him standing right here, and I was standing beside him. And he looked around, and he talked about the building. And, of course, it was this was a while ago. The changes hadn't been made that have been made in here. But he looked it all over. He was from a church in the area that actually history tells me that uh, this church planted many years ago, maybe back in the late 1800s. And uh, he looked around. We talked for a minute. And then he just quietly said, there's only one thing I ever heard about this church. All they ever do is fight. And I cannot, I cannot forget the dismay and the rage that that brought up in me. I was saved in this church. Been married twice in this church. I love this church. And I, I cannot fathom, I, I don't even know what to think about, the only testimony the church has in the community is that all they ever do is fight. And so, yeah, you've heard that a lot of times, and you're going to hear it a lot more. Because it must never happen again. We must, as a church, guard that glorious unity that we have now. We must never let it happen again. We do not fight here we're not going to fight today. We never fight here. and We're just not going to do it. Paul wrote to the Ephesians. He said, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that last phrase can be translated, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together. That's our goal. Let's always make it our goal. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the privilege we have to be part of this whole, part of this local church. I thank you, Lord, for every member we have. And I thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have in just a few moments to participate in a meeting of this church. And, Lord, I just pray that you would guide. Your will will be done. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. I pray that we would have, as we have had for ten years, the unity that we always have. And I have no reason to believe we won't, but Lord, I pray that we would. And I pray that you would help us all to take seriously the guarding of that unity. That we would be a church that has a different uh, reputation in our community than it used to. A reputation that people, uh, people know this is a place where we love each other. Where we're united in following our Lord Jesus Christ. I just pray that would be the case. So uh, thank you for this from your word. Speak to our hearts now, Lord. I pray that uh, whatever decisions might need to be made, I don't know what decisions would need to be made from a sermon like this, but Lord, you do. And so as we sing our closing song, I pray that you'll just work in hearts and help people today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.